But we all have hopes and dreams. And we all long for opportunities to show off the thing, to others the things that we think we're really good at. Once in a while, those hopes and dreams and the opportunity collide. During my junior year of high school, I had begun taking voice lessons and desired opportunities to sing, not just in the shower, but on a stage. And the stage didn't matter that much to me. I, I didn't have unrealistic fantasies about my abilities at that point. But when an opportunity presented itself, I took it. The opportunity for me was a Sunday morning duet with the girl that I was dating at the time. And this was perfect. Not only would we get to sing together, this meant we got to practice together as well. Opportunity abounded. Hopes and dreams were coming together. I could hardly wait. The day arrived, and the nerves were very real. Not only would I get to sing to the Lord, people would likely tell us how good we were and give us more chances to sing. But the nerves were very real. So much so that as I awaited that glorious moment on stage, something was brewing deep inside the dark parts of my body. Literally brewing. Hope and joy was turning to pain and impatience. Surviving was the new goal. We grabbed our mics. We got through a verse and a chorus. And the percolating deep inside needed a release. There was no stopping it, no matter how hard I could suppress it. As much as I tried to hold it back, there was nothing that was going to prevent the inevitable. My hopes and dreams quickly turned to despair, and my despair to prayers. Please don't stink. Please don't stink. Please. It stunk. In fact, I'm not sure that the stench of that nervous eruption has been equaled to this day. The worst part about it was there was no escape for us. We, we had another verse. We had a bridge. We had a couple times through the choruses again. And remember, this is a duet, so together we had to stand and sing and breathe in a cloud of stench. Oh. The song came to an end, and we began to exit stage as quickly as we could, and the pastor began to come up for his sermon. We wanted to get away as fast as we could, at least I did, but he stopped us and made us stand there from our quick escape to thank us, to praise us, to heap appreciation on us, all of the things that I hoped and longed for, and now I just wanted it to end and get away quickly. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the three of us ever spoke of that morning again. And I'm not sure how the pastor maintained his composure without crunching up his face or whatever, or making comments about it. I just wanted to crawl into a hole and die. Can you relate? You've all had silent but deadly moments. <laughs> the highest of highs and the greatest of hopes, the situation, the opportunity came to an instant crashing halt and spiraled into disappointment so great that the stink of the moment of your life maybe has ruined the experience. For many of us, laughing it off after 25 years isn't really an option because the disappointment is still being lived with. There's a deep struggle, maybe a darkness that hasn't lifted. And the disappointment of a life that hasn't turned out the way we wanted 
is our daily reality. The Hebrew people living in bondage and slavery also had hopes and dreams. They longed to get out from under that. They longed to escape their reality and their struggle. And maybe even the words of Joseph from Genesis 50 and the reminder of the promised land that have been passed on through the generations, yet after 400 years, this remembrance and these words were lost. And a cynical heart is quite understandable for the Hebrew people. Enter Moses and Aaron, and hope is rekindled. The elders of Israel believe that this is now the time for all of their hopes and dreams to come true. And they're ready. They're excited. We're going to open the scriptures this morning to Exodus chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Exodus chapter 4, the last couple of verses is where I'm going to start because it sets the context and the stage for where we left off last week. If you would, would you stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read? It's not that long of a chapter, so we're going to read the whole chapter. 23 verses plus two, from, two or three from the previous chapter. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, well, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they make shall, in the past you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. 
The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Thanks for standing. You may be seated. We find Moses. We find the people full of hope, full of confidence. Where we left off last week, the reluctant Moses, along with Aaron, at the end of chapter 4, relaying all the words God had given him to the elders of Israel. One of his earliest concerns was that the Israelite people wouldn't listen to them, wouldn't believe that he was sent by the Lord. And as the words were spoken and the signs were demonstrated, the people believed. Hope had re-entered the people. After generations of suffering, worship was their appropriate response. See, the Lord has seen. The Lord has heard. He is concerned and he has come down to deliver them. Can you imagine the hope that this reality brought God's people? Doesn't this truth of God's heart and character speak to us in our troubles? He sees us. He hears us. He is concerned. He will deliver. To a broken down and hurting people, this truth from God breathes life and confidence to run through walls. Have you ever had that kind of confidence? The kind of confidence where you feel like you could run through a wall? That kind of hope? What they were experiencing might have felt a little bit like what I experienced as a kid after I got done watching an episode of The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno, David Banner, and the guy turns into the Hulk and he goes and smashes things. I'd get so incredibly pumped up after that show that I felt like I could conquer the world or at least wreak havoc in the living room, and anything that I found in my path. I was a chest-pounding, pillow-throwing force to be reckoned with. And I think my parents despised that as I wrecked everything. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've felt the highest of highs when you enter a movie theater in the afternoon, caught up in a story that makes all your senses fire at once, and then you leave after two-plus hours in the evening darkness with no appropriate outlet for what you experienced. And the feeling as you drive makes you tremble in confidence. You feel like that car is floating on air. It's an incredible feeling of confidence. And Moses and Aaron are now on a mountaintop. Stage one is complete. Elders, check. Stage two, Pharaoh. Here we go. The hope has gone to great confidence. And now the confidence we're going to see begins to move in a different direction. You found yourself here as well. You have a proposal to make, a presentation at work, an idea that you hope will be adopted. And maybe you need to convince your spouse of the next crazy idea that you have. Whatever it may be, you have a surge of confidence. Your words are carefully rehearsed, maybe in front of a mirror, maybe just in your head over and over again. And the time has come for you to make your appeal. 
Verse 1 is where we see that. Moses and Aaron went in and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. There it is. Moses is probably saying, I never wanted to be here. I tried to get out of it. I begged you to pick somebody else. But here I am walking in obedience. How could Pharaoh not think about this? Agree to this and let us go. After all, you sent us. And Pharaoh responds in verse 2. And he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I won't let Israel go. Well, that went like a lead balloon. Nowhere. Very fast. Can you picture Moses and Aaron in this situation? Bewilderment setting in. Deep disappointment. Not giving up. They state exactly what the Lord told them to say in verse 3. If you look at what God told them to say in chapter 3, verse 3, they say it word for word. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then they add one extra line on there. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. But what he wants to say in that moment is the Lord has met with us. We have authorities, Pharaoh. Don't you know that? The Lord may even bring judgment. He promised to bring judgment on you and we're here too because he has power. We have authority, we have power. Let us go. And Pharaoh's response is, get back to work. Enough of these silly hopes and dreams. Go back to work. No, the answer is no. Now let's back up to Moses' request just for a moment. Was his request reasonable? Was it truthful? I mean, first his request of a three-day journey for worship was exactly what God instructed Moses to say. But it seems odd, doesn't it? Didn't God intend to liberate his people completely, entirely, once for all from Egypt and give them their own land? Absolutely. So there might be several reasons for this type of request in this setting, in this time. The nature of this request possibly was to give Pharaoh a lesser request in order to expose the hardness of his heart to Moses and the Hebrew people. When the request is less and more reasonable and yet met with such harsh rejection and dismissal, certainly the people would assume Pharaoh will never grant their full release. This request may very well have been for the benefit of God's people rather than God's enemy. This was setting up an impossible situation. Impossible situations are the way in which God loves to do his best work because it gives him the most glory. So maybe the request was setting that up and exposing the hardness of Pharaoh's heart to the people. Or maybe the nature of this request was just culturally normal. A modest request may have been reflective of Near Eastern approach in which more was actually sought. There are manuscripts dating to the time of Ramses II indicating that Egyptian slaves were sometimes actually given time off to worship their gods. There are indications that pharaohs in the past have sometimes honored requests like this one. So asking for three days of religious freedom was reasonable. Either way, pharaoh's response was harsh and it was blind. And his question that he asked, who is the Lord? I do not know him. It was very similar to Moses' question when he met him at the burning bush. Who, is, who are you, Lord? But completely different, even though they use similar words. You see, this might be the central question in all of Exodus. 
The Lord revealed this at the bush to Moses, but will continue to reveal himself throughout the rest of Exodus, not only to Pharaoh, but to all of Israel. He says he is the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshiped. He is the I am, the eternal God. He is the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who has compassion. He is the one who will come down and rescue, and he is the one able to bring judgment. Put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes for a moment. He's the most powerful man in the known world. Some consider a deity. And Pharaoh's question is not unlike Moses' question of who the Lord is. But his question is a question of defiance, a denial that God had any right to make any kind of declaration. And as two slaves, Moses and Aaron approach him with this audacious request to release his entire workforce, obviously, to the king of Egypt, he was going to say no. And obviously, his slaves had entirely too much time on their hands to dream such dreams. He says, you don't need to rest. You need more to do. And you can almost hear the condescension in Pharaoh's voice. Boys, boys, stop wasting my time. Get back to work. Disappointment is probably an understatement for Moses. Consider it in our lives. Consider the past year. We've gone over this over and over again as we've all lived it. But 2020 was going to be the best year ever, right? And then it started. And it started with fires and high-profile celebrity deaths and a global pandemic that not only ushered in sickness and death, but sowed fear and division and disunity. A world halted and was restless. And then eruptions of racial disunity that laid beneath the surface were unearthed not to mention political upheaval, personal loss, both relationally and financially. This is a year where we can all see it. But each of you have your own stories that predate 2020 or that continue to this very moment. And disappointment defines much of our experiences. We all rushed into 2020 like Moses rushing into Pharaoh's chambers. And our confidence quickly turned to disappointment and like the Israelites, from disappointment to complete despair. See, the situation goes from, from bad to worse in a hurry. That same day, Pharaoh issues his executive orders to the Egyptian taskmasters and Hebrew foremen. He says, same expectations, same quota, less resources. Let's see them work now. This will take them more time. It'll be harder. They won't be able to get their, their stuff done. Apparently the Hebrews are lazy. As he said, idle, idle, you are idle. He's calling them lazy and that they have time on their hands. So I'm going to make the work harder. Let's zoom in real quick on verse nine. And it says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. You see, this was not merely an angry reaction of a ruthless man. This was a calculated response to keep the people in greater bondage. The Hebrew word for work that is used in our English translations has the same root as the word God used in the previous chapter in verses 22 and 23, where it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve you. That word work, that word serve, they're from the same root and the same basic meaning. And so this was more, this was much more about worship, more than just mere work. 
It was a spiritual battle of lordship. It was a spiritual battle of worship. And Pharaoh sought to drive a wedge between the people and their leaders. Give them more to do so they won't have time to listen to lying words of Moses and Aaron. So the orders were issued and now they were communicated to the slaves. And you get a picture here of of how each of these central figures in the story are viewed. Moses in in verse 1 says, thus says the Lord. And the taskmasters and the foremen in verse 10 declare, thus says Pharaoh. We see a glimpse of how he was viewed. This is ugly slavery. This is captivity. This is bondage at its worst. And as we allow ourselves to understand the depth of this pain, we can understand the depth of our sin. As we have the benefit of standing on this side of the cross, we can see a picture of deliverance that is to come. If Exodus teaches nothing else, it teaches us that to be saved is to be rescued from slavery in order to serve the living God. So here's what happens in this bondage and in this slavery. The foreman cried out to Pharaoh. These were the Hebrews. Help us out. Make this burden lighter. Instead of crying to the Lord for deliverance. And at the end of chapter 4, when we see the Hebrew leaders bowing and worshiping God, here in the middle of this chapter, at the first sign of trouble, we see the Hebrew people running to Pharaoh for relief. When sin begins to beat us down, far too often, instead of seeking deliverance, we seek comfort from our captor. Instead of crying out to the Lord, our despair causes us to cry out to the one who enslaves us. And of course, when bad things happen, our sinful nature says, not my fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't fair. And I need to blame someone. And so the despair moves to blame. And when we can blame someone, it helps us make sense of things that don't make sense. It removes not only the responsibility that we have, but it shields us from lessons, shields us from discipline and the growth that can happen through those troubled times. The Israelite foreman blamed Moses and Aaron instead of turning to God. And we're going to see Moses blames God. And many times it doesn't even matter if it's the fault of the one we blame. We just need to yell at somebody. I experienced this just last week, making a return at a local store. And I'm standing in line at customer service. And the man in front of me is just yelling at the customer service person. And he even admitted, I know this isn't your fault. I know this isn't your problem. I just need you to fix it. And he's yelling at them. We just need someone to yell at sometimes and to blame. For the Christian to despair in your circumstances is to be forgetful. See, Moses and Aaron obeyed the Lord with courage, with boldness. And in spite of that, things got worse, not only for them, but for everyone else around them, for all of the Hebrew people. And this is the kind of disappointment that we really struggle with. This is the kind of disappointment and despair that we can't wrap our minds around because they did nothing to create the mess. Oftentimes we look at ourselves and think, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm obeying. In fact, Moses and Aaron were doing exactly what God asked them to do. If there's any fault to observe of Moses and Aaron, it's that the situation was a surprise to them. It never should have been a surprise They forgot the promises of God. Pain and suffering for us should not be a surprise either. 
Let's just look at a few passages in the New Testament. James chapter 1, I think these will be on the screen for you. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. They're for our purpose. They make us better. Yet, it doesn't say if trials happen. It says when. 1 Peter at the beginning in chapter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a purpose for suffering. There is a purpose for trials. And it's to make us more like Jesus and to fix our eyes on Jesus. But for the believer, there's a temporary nature to suffering. Peter says, for a little while. But even if your suffering or disappointment lasts a lifetime, that's still temporary because even our earthly lives are temporary. We need a big view of God and a big picture. And as Paul was instructing young Timothy on his sufferings, and he encouraged him with these words, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The obedient child of God will be persecuted. Paul challenged him then to stand firm in his salvation, not forgetting the power of the scriptures. So Moses, he in turn went to God. And this wasn't a sin, this was good of him. His words even sounded a lot like the psalmist who often opens up to God in, his br- in brutal honesty and in his despair. But Moses' questions did reveal that his faith needed strengthened and his memory needed jogged. He had forgotten God's promises. He had forgotten the plan. Moses needed to remember. The plan was clear. Pharaoh would not let them go. He wouldn't let them go until God struck them with all the wonders and struck Egypt with all these wonders and these plagues, and then compelled them to drive the Hebrews out and plundering them in the process. God had a plan and a process, and Moses knew it, and the elders knew it because they shared all the things that God shared, and they forgot. When disappointment defines your experiences, you can trust the one who keeps his promise. Let me say that again. When disappointment defines your experience, You can trust the one who keeps his promise. I want to encourage you to remember this morning. There is disappointment in life, but I want you to remember. If you're taking notes, write down the word remember. Charles Spurgeon once said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trace, trust his heart. We must trust his heart. Now, I don't want to minimize any of the disappointment you're experiencing now, but rather lift up and shine the light on the heart of God and the delight that we can find in Him and in His promises. Many of you are here today and you've lived or are living with deep disappointment. Stay faithful. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Some disappointments may even lead to the greatest joys in your life. And some will just continue to stink 
That's not the word of hope that you want to hear this morning. Yet stay faithful. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in God who always keeps his promises. Now, we have a funny way of looking at those lives recorded in Scripture. When we look back at the faithful people of Scripture with great gratitude, but sometimes we lift them up too high. Hebrews 11 talks all about their faithfulness. And there's good things laudable about the people throughout Scripture. But disappointment runs through Scripture too, and sometimes we miss that. In our very story right here, we see that. And we know the end of the story, yet there's still disappointment. Spoiler alert, Moses doesn't make it into the promised land. That comes at the end of the story, but he spent 40 years being groomed in the palace, then 40 years trained as a shepherd, and then 40 years wandering around with an ungrateful people who complained all the time, and yet he still didn't get in and see the promised land. What deep disappointment he had to experience. Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers, and then he was framed, and then he was imprisoned, and then he was forgotten. He was rejected by family. Can you relate? Eli served the Lord as a priest, but his sons were very wicked. There are no guarantees in parenting. Can you relate? Elijah saw God do amazing wonders. And after his greatest victory, fell into deep, lonely depression. There's no immunity for the servant of God, even in victory. Can you relate? Prophets spoke for God and were often ignored, even beaten. It's like God tells the prophets, you're going to be my spokesman. And you're going to tell them exactly what I want you to tell them. And then they're not going to listen to you. They're going to chase you out of here. And they're going to beat you and hurt you and maybe even kill you. Talk about disappointment. But you told us to say these things, God. You gave us these words and we're obeying. But there's still disappointment. And Daniel faithfully prayed to the Lord and had to spend the night with the lions. And we know that story ends the next morning and God protected him. But did Daniel know that as he's going into the lion's den? He prayed and he trusted, but he didn't know the outcome. And he was thrown in by a friend. Deep disappointment. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ who prepares the way, finds himself in prison and he hears of the works of Jesus And so he sends word to Jesus. Chapter 11 of Matthew says this, and it records it this way. When John had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word to his disciples, by his disciples, and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? See, even John the Baptist was beginning to have doubt and disappointment. But then the response came back from his servants. And here's what Jesus answered him and said, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, can you imagine John the Baptist? See, Jesus is referencing both a little mashup here of Isaiah 35 and 61 where he calls on some of these promises. And John the Baptist knew the scriptures. He's probably leaning in, listening to the servant and saying, all right, the lame are going to walk, the blind are going to see, the lepers are cleansed. I got it, I'm tracking. I know this verse. I have it memorized. I know this passage and I know how it ends. And then the servant stops. 
And John the Baptist is probably saying, wait, isn't there more? Isaiah 61 says, and the prisoners are going to be set free. Didn't Jesus tell you that too? Well, no, that's, this is all he told us. And for John the Baptist, here's what he heard. Yes, John, I am the one. You don't need to look for another. And you're going to die in prison. Talk about deep disappointment. Stay faithful, John. I'm doing a work here. And life isn't going to turn out how you thought it would. And we haven't had God speak to us out loud in a burning bush. We haven't been sent to liberate our people from slavery. But we have had high hopes and expectations. Things that haven't been met the way that we thought they would be met. We've had deep disappointment just when we thought everything was working out for good. And these are the moments that cause us to give up or to look up. But we don't look up into an unknown future because we can look back at the promises of God, which he has fully met. We can look forward to a settled future with hope and joy, even as we walk through deep disappointment with right now. This is not a sermon on how to avoid disappointment. The only way to do that is to have zero expectations in life. Sometimes I tell my kids that. But that's not what God calls us to. He says, have big expectations. Have big dreams. Expect God to do immeasurably more than anything we could ask or imagine. But as we do that, keep our hands wide open, trusting God with it. But let's redeem our disappointments. We're not getting rid of them. Let's redeem them. See, disappointments can reveal what's going on inside our hearts, what we really want in life. And chances are, the things you really want in life are good things. But disappointment and despair set in when we make those good things the ultimate things. And the things in which we set our attention and our affection. Here's what I want to do this morning as we kind of begin to wrap this up and we're going to lead to a closing song where it'll be like a prayer of commitment. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Can you do that with me? And I want to walk you through some thoughts to consider. I want to ask you to do something. So bow your heads, close your eyes, and have a moment of honesty with ourselves and with the Lord before we close in song. If you are walking in disappointment, you are not alone. And if you're honest with yourself, and with the God who already knows your heart, you have a picture, you had a picture of what your marriage would look like and it might not match up or whether or not you even had a marriage or what your kids would look like or whether or not you had kids. You had plans for your career, expectations and goals that haven't been experienced and it overwhelms you and you're tired of walking with it. If this is you with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, just taking some time with the Lord, whatever the deep disappointment might be, would you just slip up your hand and say, God, I acknowledge and confess this disappointment and I give it to you? Would you just slip up your hand and recognize that? This isn't the life I planned. This isn't, you can, once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. And I want you to know whether you put your hand up or not, that helps cement that in your own heart of what you're saying to the Lord. But you're not alone and God has not left you alone. You can all look up. The best way to do this is together, is to look around and to walk in life together, to be a group where we can lean on each other as we look into Jesus. That's why we talk so much about not just Sunday mornings, but getting involved in groups, in grace groups. You need one another. 
as we walk through disappointment, do it together. It's better that way. But know this, Moses came to God in his despair and God responded. Thank goodness, thank God that chapter five is not the end of the story. The disappointment and failure of chapter five sets up the glory and victory of chapter six and for the rest of this account. Chapter six, verse one says this, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. He's saying, Moses, this was never your job to do. It's always been mine to deliver. Sit back and watch me do it. Trust me. When disappointment defines your experience, you can trust the one who keeps his promises. Let me close in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song of commitment, of worship as a prayer. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts. Thanks for what you're teaching us in life. Thanks for the ways in which you work that we would rather you not be working in those ways. We wish you'd do it a different way, but you're making us stronger. You're making us more like you. You're helping us to fix our eyes on you. And God, as we walk through disappointment, whether we raised our hand or not, help us to give that to you with an open hand and to trust your heart. It's hard to follow it. Sometimes we'll see glimpses of us and you'll give us that joy. And sometimes we won't see it but we're looking for a bigger picture and we're looking to a bigger God than our circumstances right now. Help us to trust your will as we walk with you each day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.